Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Today's episode is all about book adaptations. Uh, my favourite, personal favourites that I'm going to be recommending to you. So it's going to be another episode of recommendations uh, and just taking you through some key uh, texts that I love that have been adapted from novels into uh, feature films. So unfortunately, this means when I say adaptations, I'm not talking about comic book adaptations or adaptations from other source material. Um, I'm specifically talking about novels, so actual books um, that you read, uh, rather than graphic novels or uh, visual-based books, as it were. So not uh, those kind of ones. I feel they deserve an episode of all their own, uh, like specifically to give you proper good top five, top ten recommendations for. Uh, but for now, this one's going to be all about the books and novels that you that you read. So like those old classics uh, from the 20th century or even ones from nowadays. Uh, so I'm going to give you some of those now. <clears throat> uh, but first of all, just a reminder... Keep following us on the social media. I'm loving you guys and your interactions on our Instagram and Twitter feed. And also just another shout out as well to connect us across the social media channels. Um, A big shout out to the Whack Chat lads, that's Sean Wilding and Mitch Slack. I'm loving your content, by the way, guys. Uh, They're a fellow film podcast. So guys, if you want to check them out, it's Whack Chat, it's movie time. Uh, so they're a film podcast just like me. They also have a YouTube element, so you, they actually film themselves so you can actually watch them uh, as they talk through their podcast episodes, or you can just listen to them on the usual suspects of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the likes of that. And it's just uh, they're a genuine nice pair of lads, uh, and they've been talking to me since I've got started on this. We've had a shared journey together, and they've been just such great guys about it, especially you, Mitch. Big shout out to you. Uh, and just brilliant stuff all around, guys. We're, you know, I wouldn't say we're in competition. I'd say we're in an equal footing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see what else you come up with, as well as, you know, in sharing partnership of our joint journey, as it were. Uh, but for now, guys, obviously check out Whack Chat, It's Movie Time, as well as obviously our episodes as well. Uh, and just keep following the creative journey of all your favorite podcasters. Uh, so they're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the likes of that and YouTube, like I said. So shout out to Whack Chat. Uh, and let's get started on the episode of this podcast now on Take 97. So we're going to be talking to you about um, uh, book adaptations, like I said. Uh, this is purely subjective, as is most of my listings uh as anyone's listings really um but these are just a few to get you started so if you're just getting into film now if you found this podcast and you've been recommended it to sort of get yourself started into the world of film uh, i'm going to give you some recommendations for this uh you know this side of film then so obviously you have like we've talked about science fiction film noir uh all the different types of genres you've got in the world of film but this one I'm going to be talking to you about some key texts, which I think will really get you interested into your uh, films. Specifically, if you love the books, you should love the films nine times out of ten. Now, obviously, lots of little brief breakdown with book adaptations. I do feel that obviously there are a lot of books which, you know, are much better than the films because films naturally books can go on for longer and films I mean, whilst they could go on for like Avengers and Titanic, you know, three hours on Gone with the Wind, they're really long, epic films, but they're not really 
you know, a film ideally has to be, they say roughly two and a half hours, maybe 245 is the limit at the very most for a film. But usually book adaptations, it ends up being somewhere anywhere between an hour and a half and two hours. So a lot has to be cut out. And obviously that's where a lot of the problems with the Harry Potter franchise comes in because there's a lot of details that are lost between uh, the book and then translating it to film. Sometimes there's a few better like some improvements on the book or well, not improvements, but additions then, shall we say? So for instance, in the Harry Potter films, the bridge, for those of you who might not know the bridge in that's introduced in the prisoner of Azkaban and is used continuously after that film, it's not mentioned at all or described or included as a specific highlight or feature of setting in the book, in the third, third book, third film. Um, it's purely made by the director uh, to bring out this, this cool, expansive uh, area that is Hogwarts and to really expand on what was already built upon in the first two films and also just to really add to the world of the books as well, which is a good point. Uh, but at the end of the day, you don't always get that. So there are some instances where the film doesn't really match up uh, to the book. Uh, but I think a film that does match up to the book standard, I will mention now is my first top pick, um, is the 1962 film To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, this one is an old classic of the old guard from Universal Studios. Uh, features the brilliant talent of Gregory Peck, who plays Atticus Finch, uh, who's a lawyer in a small a small town. Uh, so it's, it's, very, it's, um, it's set in, it's very much of its time. Because um, if I remember rightly, the book was released a couple of years before... Um, before the film came out so it's very close so back in those days a lot of adaptations with the exception of like you know adaptations from like the 1950s and 60s the films usually came not long afterwards uh but this case the uh to kill a mockingbird was literally quite quickly released um and made so it features gregory peck as Askus finch a lawyer in a small town um a very prejudiced town because obviously this is it's in the deep south and it's deals with issues of race and, you know, falsely accused um, uh, accusations attributed to a black man uh, who is accused of raping and attacking uh, a young white woman uh, in their local neighborhood. Now, of course, from the outset, it's quite obvious and throughout that it's quite obvious that the, or at least to me, in my opinion, that obviously the black character is innocent throughout. Um, but the I, the whole point of the film, and indeed the book as well, is that it deals with the prejudice that was dealt out in those days. Um, it was quite groundbreaking for the time because you know it was very of its time. It it was, if I remember rightly, I think it's got more of a a nineteen thirties setting as opposed to the you know the actual contemporary setting. Although racism was still rife in America. Um, in the 1960s when this film came out, uh, particularly in the tail end of the 50s, um, where a lot of the movements such as you know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, they were all, they'd had already happened by this point. Uh, but this film, it kind of encompasses the message of, you know, defeating prejudice and staring it down in the face. Uh, and that, I just, you know, it's not, it's one of those films, it's very much of its time. Like I watched um, completely different, on a completely different note, I watched Rebel Without a Cause the other day, um, the film with James Dean in it. And 
that film, it's not got many attractions or spectacles within it, but it's very, I, I don't know, I want to say it's very simple in its outlook, but it says a lot and it's very powerful. Uh, and the same goes for To Kill a Mockingbird. And the book itself, I really urge you guys, so a big message for everyone listening, um, if you want to consider reading the books before you watch these films, I highly recommend that because then anything you get from the film is an added bonus on top of the uh, what you've already read from the book. Uh, so I would highly recommend read the books of all of these films first and then watch the films. I mean, I'm a little bit bad because in some cases I do watch the films and then I read the books afterwards because it, in a, it helps me picture... Uh, what some of the characters might look like because uh, it might help you as well if you're not really a particularly visual reader so if you need help creating images um if you're not the most creative in terms of your mindset then or you know you can't imagine things that well and you're you know you stick with what's already preconceived then that's fine um but obviously you need to take into account that the book has much more rich detail and texture to it than the film ever will do um but in to kill a mockingbird's case like i said it's atticus finch played by gregory peck he defends a black man who is falsely accused of raping a young uh, girl in the, the local town and the whole story just as the book is is told through the perspective of the daughter uh, the daughter of Atticus Finch. Uh, so everything's done for a very childlike manner. Uh, like the eye, everything's seen as like very confusing, very big and very, you know, uh, not a lot is like lots of stuff is revealed. So, you know, because the film's for an adult audience, but the same goes for the book. It's uh, the book is actually specifically written in the, you know, in the, the tense of the childlike uh, view and perspective of life uh, in these events that we're witnessing. Specifically, there's lots, a lot more scenes dedicated in the book to the experience of the children um, in the in the story. Uh, obviously, we and they're only seeing Atticus uh, as the, the father figure through that forced perspective, and we get that a lot. That's what I think the film really benefits from. The film gives you that nice, you know, really solid perspective that you're going to work with, and throughout the entire film, you really get this essence of oh, that's that's amazing, you know, like it's quite everything simplified and really stripped back and you understand you know it's confusing and very strange for a child and everything's sort of explained in a way that it's understandable for a child but at the same time we as an audience we take everything at face value through this perspective and it's just a genuine enjoyable film it's really dramatic if you like your courtroom drama there's a bit of that in there uh, and it's just, you know, it will make you cry. I think, it, you know, I honestly, it was a, it's a lovely film. It's a, it's a true classic of its age. So I highly recommend To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, that's one to watch. So it's a 1960s film, uh, black and white. It's a, shot beautifully in many places. It's a lovely film. Some really eerie, creepy shots as well, especially for the nighttime scenes. Uh, some really cool silhouettes, some really eerie creepy silhouettes but it works so well so i won't go into too much detail i'll let you make your mind up if you have any thoughts on that let me know on the usual channels but that's to kill a mockingbird from 1962 uh based on the harper lee book uh re released in 1960 originally also if you want to read around your subject i know that there was before harper lee died she released um a book called go set a watchman which is kind of a sequel to to kill a mockingbird um, but it's been revealed, obviously, over the time since that that book was actually the original concept for To Kill a Mockingbird. But the publishers said, oh, we'd like to see 
all the flashbacks to the experiences of the young child and then Harper Lee rewrote it and made that the main story. So there's a load of bits that you might recognize that are similar to, to Killer Mockingbird, but in the actual, you know, in Ghost Out of Watchmen, you get lots of extra bits which are from like several years in the future. So they're like moments from an adult's perspective, but from the same character. Uh, so I'll let you read around those. That's really, really good quality film right there. Uh, the next one of my recommendations uh, is Little Women. Now, I'm going to talk. I'm not going to talk about too much about Little Women because uh, I've got an episode of that coming about that, or a little bit of it coming up soon with a guest of mine uh, in a couple of episodes' time, where we talk about Greta Gerwig very soon. Uh, but for now, it's I just want to recommend Little Women 2019. Uh, it's a Greta Gerwig film. It stars Emma Watson, uh, Sasha Ronan, who obviously works with. Greta Gerwig a lot, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Florence Pugh, uh, Meryl Streep's in it as well. The list goes on and on. It's a real star-filled film, and obviously I'm going to leave that for another for the episode to come when I discuss it with my guest, uh, who I shall announce very shortly. Uh, but it's very, it's a good, I would say it's a great in terms of like the way it's been adapted. We discuss the issues in the episode to come, but it's got that modern feminist twist to it in the sense that you know the uh, the way because the ending has changed slightly from what the book is uh, but it's a very i'd say a very enjoyable film overall it doesn't it's not too hard on the nose but it's very i think it comes across quite well um but like i say recommend little women the 2019 greta gerwig film uh, if you want to check that out uh, another one of my recommendations uh, i would highly suggest is gone girl now, Gone Girl is a film that when I first saw it, I watched it when I was at uni. Uh, it's it's based on the book by Gillian Flynn. Uh, so it was released in, published in 2012. Uh, and the film itself, uh, it's a David Fincher film uh, released in, so literally two years later, so 2014. And it stars Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go into a little bit of detailed plot. So anyone who hasn't watched the film a uh, little bit of spoilers ahead, but um, essentially the short end of it is that uh, we follow so Rosamund Pike's character uh, and Ben Affleck. They're they're a married couple, and you wouldn't think when you start the film that it's going to be as dark as it is. But we essentially we follow uh, the character Rosamund Pike's character throughout the film. It's kind of like a cat and mouse thriller in a way, um, because you know she pretends that she, she I'm going to spoil it just a little bit, but she fakes her own death disappearance uh, and she goes off the grid completely and Ben Affleck's left to <laughs> deal with the consequences afterwards of her actions. Uh, everybody thinking that he's killed her or that he's done something with her. And it's very, it keeps you on your toes right up until the moment, like the next event happens within the film. It's constantly keeping you on your toes. And what I would say, it's very empowering for women. But it also, it, it, it literally scared me to death. <laughs> I would say it scared me a little bit more um, because, I don't know, I, I, it sounds really horrible, but like I would think for a solid maybe week and a half after watching this film, I was like, you know, like Rosamund Pike made me scared of women for a good week <laughs> because, you know, just it's a it's an ongoing reminder guys so obviously watch the film it's brilliantly paced film david fincher directs it with such finesse but like 
if you ever annoy a woman, watch, well, read and then watch Gone Girl, because that is what could happen in the worst case scenario. <laughs> it's it's such a very harrowing film. Like, I wouldn't want to call it a feminist narrative, because like whilst it you see a bit of an, you get that empowerment from uh, Rosamund Pike's performance. At the same time, you don't really... You don't really get this. Uh, it's more of a it's psychological. So the the film itself is a psychological thriller, through and throughout. And I, I genuinely like you feel a, you can't really side with who like you can't really decide who you're siding with until you get to the end of the film. So do you believe Rosamund Pike? Do you believe Ben Affleck? Like there are times where you sympathise with Ben Affleck, but then there are times that you sympathise with. Um, Rosamund Pike and you and you know they're both it's kind of like it like I said a cat and mouse game between the two of them but it's much high more high stakes than you realize and it just keeps you guessing I feel like Gone Girl the film adaptation by David Fincher is very much like the feature film equivalent of what Broadchurch the ITV drama with David Tennant and Olivia Coleman that kind of pacey uh like pacey tension that you get from those tv criminal dramas that you get on tv um at least in the british ones and sometimes some american shows as well you get that lovely pacey tension throughout and i just really think that you know if you're in the right mindset watch it but like and read obviously the book first uh it's a real page turner a real like it's going to keep you on the edge of your seat when you watch the film it's just very very creepy and ah uh, just I can't really just put it into words how amazing and creepy it is. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, Rosamund Pike, I, I think I watched a United Kingdom uh, afterwards, uh, or not long after. I couldn't look at her in the same way again. <laughs> genuinely, quite frankly, couldn't look at her in the same way again. And I also watched her in Radioactive. Again, couldn't look at her in the same way again. Um uh, recently, I mean, I think in United Kingdom, which again is just as much of a serious film as any, it's not as much book adaptation as these ones, I would say, but I would think it softened the blow from Rosamund Pike's very, very scary and eerie performance <laughs> as the wife of Ben Affleck. Uh, but yeah, I'll leave you to think of what that you will. Uh, but I'd honestly say to rate them so far, to Kill a Mockingbird, I'd give five stars because it's quality drama well acted brilliant film little women like i said i'll go into more detail in another episode about it but the cast says it all and i think greta gerwig although she hasn't directed very much as of yet at the point of this recording uh i think it's another one of her you know she's slotting into a nice like routine of films so you know she's had ladybird and then little women it's very much you know it's literary adaptation that you'd expect from Greta Gerwig. Like, I can't imagine Greta Gerwig doing anything else that wasn't this kind of a text. So relating to women and the role of women, even in a society that's not even familiar to her, it's just something that she's had to research. I feel that's the important balance you get between the 21st century perspective of Greta Gerwig as a director and a female director. And then the, uh, obviously the actual text, the source material of Little Women, the original novel. Um, nice clash of the titans as it were but you know i'll let you guys see so i'd probably i'd give that a nice i'd give it a four out of five stars probably um only because i have an issue with timothy chalamet <laughs> i don't know he's he's an interesting character but 
he he has the same facial expression for everything he's in like particularly i think he's in the new june film i think and yeah he looks like really moody and sultry which i think suppose works for most of the characters he plays um but i don't know he he does a good job in little women i think better than ladybird i would say he, he's not as arrogant in ladybird as he was in little women uh also other way around i mean but you know, I'll, I'll let you guys decide at home what you think about that controversial opinion moment. Uh, but in terms of, obviously, I mentioned June as a new release. That's that's based on a book as well. Um, that's coming out, well, who knows when, hopefully in 2021, uh, towards the end of 2021, I believe, if not later. But hopefully we get to see that. That's got Zendaya, Timothy Chalamet, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who did Blade Runner 2049. That's an exciting one to come as well. And the one I'd like to draw you got your attention to, guys, now is Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. Now, we've already seen Murder on the Orient Express. And it's, you know, that was um, directed, uh, you know, all orchestrated by Kenneth Branagh. It stars Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. And, uh, you know, it was... I don't know. I have split opinions about portrayals of Poirot on te- on film because I'm a bit more familiar with the TV Poirot, so David Suchet, and to me, he's the only person who can play Poirot. I'm a bit jaded in that respect, but, you know, he did an all right job in Murder on, Murder on the Orient Express, uh, which came out in 2017, if I remember correctly. Uh, and that was, you know, the way the ending of that was set up it was quite interesting because the beginning of the film, it was like you just finished the case of death on the Nile. Uh, but the way the film actually ends, it sets you up ready for death on the Nile, uh, which is the next, the next case. And there's a bit of a continuation that's been created that death on the Nile is the sequel to murder on the Orient Express. I can't remember off the top of my head, if that's the actual publishing order of the original books, but the way they've done it, it ties them in nicely. Uh, so obviously, Hercule Poirot is back uh, in the form of Kenneth Branagh. Uh, he's assisted by Tom Bateman, who you, many people know from several TV dramas on ITV. He played Jekyll, um, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, uh, in Jekyll and Hyde, the short-lived TV series on ITV1. Uh, and he's been in so many other bits and pieces as well. G- genuine talent. We love Tom Bateman. He's also in... Um, Vanity Fair as well. He's lots of British period dramas he's famous for, uh, in Britain anyway. Uh, you've got Annette Benning that's also in the cast as well. Russell Brand, interesting choice. <laughs> for a murder mystery, you've got a comedy. Uh, somebody who's more known for comedy, I'm very interested to see. I mean, he was interesting in Rock of Ages, but I would say it, the zaniness of his character in Rock of Ages kind of suited it a bit more. But in, I like to see what he's like in um death on the nile and then the comedy list continues because we've got jennifer saunders and dawn french who actually appear they are a double act in this film they appear together i've seen some of the press release photos uh i'm again a bit skeptical a bit skeptical about what they could bring to it um considering i mean i've i would say death on the nile is the book that i'm the least familiar with even though it's probably one of the most well-known books um because i've read around some of the other like i know murder on the orient express i know uh you know various uh, i know the tommy and tuppence books um (laughs) from the agatha christie uh pantheon and then there were none all the ones that have been done for bbc adaptation these days i've read all those ones and i've done them before but 
I'm not too deaf on the null. I think I've only read like the once, but you know, I'd like to see how Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders fit into the ensemble because um, it really is an all-star cast. Like I said, Tom Bateman, Annette Benning, who um, Annette Benning, if I remember correctly, I think she was just in Captain Marvel recently uh, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe with um, uh, with Carol Danvers is Captain Marvel. Uh, she was in that, but also she's well known for her role in American Beauty as Carolyn. Uh, and she was very <laughs> on the edge there. So I want to see, I, I feel with Annette Benning, her persona, she brings that, that Miss Molly. Her name's not Miss Molly, but like I, she brings that rich heiress approach to everything. So for instance, in um, in Titanic, James Cameron's Titanic, there's a, there's a there's a lady there's a couple of passengers on there but specifically one character who i think annette benning reminds me of who's very aristocratic but she's also at the same time very down to earth i feel annette benning could be that kind of character so i'm very i'm very excited to see how she uh how this all fits in uh to the overall ensemble uh we've also got letitia wright who is known for shuri in black panther uh the younger sister of the black panther uh Sadly, Chad, uh, Chadwick Boseman, who is no longer with us from the Black Panther franchise, uh, just want to take a moment actually just to say how amazing an actor he was. It was just a genuine pleasure to watch in the Marvel films that he was involved in, and also some of the other films that I've recently been catching up on as well. I might do a special episode dedicated to Chadwick Boseman because, you know, it, it was such a young actor he had such a short-lived career but he did so much in that time as well so you know we'll do a little dedication episode to him soon i promise um but you know letitia wright she's going to be taking on something completely different in the form of a period piece so i want to see i really want to see if letitia wright is quite as quippy as she is in black panther uh, in death on the nile so we'll see there as well we've also got gal gadot and sophie okanendu um gal gadot obviously who's at the moment, quite big for Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Hopefully that comes out sometime. I think believe it's going to be moved straight to streaming. Uh, the streaming services straight away. But we'll we'll see how that pans out around Christmas time. Uh, obviously, this Death on the Nile, it was meant to come out this year. I think it's been pushed back a couple of times. And I think at the moment, the date was for December Christmas time. Uh, Christmas time in uh, 2020. But everything's all over the place so it could be next year uh but when it does come out i will be going to see it and i will do a review for you guys because i'm very excited to talk to you about how i think it comes across because murder on the orient express was in terms of direction had some very interesting camera work because we actually did a whole lot of bird's eye view moments throughout because it's all set on a train so we're all above looking on down like in a doll's house as it were uh several shots panning across the train and the it, it kind of there were some points where it sort of was a bit disjointed um, in terms of the way it was shot and in terms of the classic storytelling. Uh, that was just my opinion. I mean, overall, the performances by all the characters and the cast were really good. We had Johnny Depp in as um, uh, sort of our murder victim, <laughs> and you know, you had so many other char- uh, different people in there. Michelle Pfeiffer was in the cast. Uh, I believe Judy Dench was in the cast as well. There's just so many, so many big names in Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, but, you know, I highly encourage you to watch that one before Death on the Nile is released, hopefully sometime soon. Uh, and again, like I said, Gone Girl, To Kill a Mockingbird and Little Women. Brilliant films overall. Um, there is a 1978 original film version of Death on the Nile, which uh, stars Peter Ustinov as Poirot. 
Um, so if you already know that and you want to watch it again, recommend that. Or if you haven't seen it, maybe watch that after you've read the book. So and then you can compare versions if you're if you're like me, is <laughs> you know I love to compare versions because you know uh, like I, I famously compare The Great Gatsby, the '70s version, the Robert Redford version, um, to the 2013 Baz Luhrmann version. I don't know why I feel like whilst it's shot beautifully, the 1978 basler um original version of great gatsby the 1970s version it's just really i don't know like some of the lines because i've heard them spoken from leonardo dicaprio's voice the way they're delivered they seem too wooden and a bit static but the way it's shot is beautiful so it's a bit of a bit of a toss-up between between those two uh but highly recommend if you want to watch an adaptation of the great gatsby there's two versions of it there there's the insanely crazy version of baz Luhrmann, which i know not everybody likes but you know there's that one or there is the more traditional new hollywood version in the form of um uh the 70s version with robert redford in it uh, it's very classic, very, very, you know, for something that was released in the 70s, it's not very new Hollywood. It's got more of a, it's got an essence of the way Chinatown was done, but at the same time, it's very classical and it's it, the way it's shot and just the way it's acted. So I'll let you guys think about that. Um, other book adaptations whilst we're here, quick roundup, there's War Horse, which was directed by Steven Spielberg, um, based on the book by Michael Mapergo. Um, he's got some cracking books. So if you want to read anything like, cool book wise michael mpogo is a good one to go for uh and just anything there's so many other books that films have been based on i could list and list and list and go on and on uh, i'm not talking about any biographies though because you know biographies are a whole different kettle of fish uh and like i said i think we go back to one of my picks from a couple of weeks ago where i dedicated myself to talking about the wizard of oz that's based on a book highly recommend reading the actual original source material um, I know a lot of it is they are kids' books, but even as an adult, you really do get some real joy out of them. And the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the, so the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, that's another good one. Um, the original, the 2005 film, which started off, I think there was only four films in the end, so uh, adaptations. There's more than four books in the Narnia series, but uh, I do think, you know, they did a series of them in the end. Uh, the episode, so Lion, the Witch and Wardrobe, Voyage of the Dawn, Treader, uh, Prince Caspian, I think they also did as well. Uh, and then uh, the one that everybody forgets, I think, actually, no, I think they only did three in the end. Um, I think they, they were going to do the silver chair, but they never did. Or if they did, I missed it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the um, the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the books are just amazing. That like I grew up with those books, as well as obviously the Harry Potter books, uh, stuff like that. They are truly gems of their time. Uh, they're you know the 2005 adaptation, the film, the like the Disney World Media uh, film. That that's truly I love the first one. The CGI was pretty good for its time and also all the child stars were really decent in it as well uh, i take my hats off to all of them they were brilliant and it was like you know because child actors can be really difficult to work with you know unless you get them like a really good set of them and this like there was a good group of four of the uh, the four central characters uh edmund lucy susan and peter so proud i remembered all their names <laughs> they were all really good 
the actors who played them were all amazing. I think the one who played Lucy, little Lucy, she's gone on to do a couple of more things uh, afterwards, but not so much now. Uh, and then obviously there's Liam Neeson, I think, does the voice of Aslan as well. And you have Tilda Swinton as uh, the white witch, the evil witch that's in it. Uh, and quite frankly, I think it's one of Tilda Swinton's highlights. You know, I know it's meant, again, it's meant to be like a kid's film. It's a fantasy film, but it's amazing. I love it. It's like the Harry Potter films. They inspire so much joy and wonder and in inspiration for the magic that is reading. And obviously the films are an extension of that. And if I was to wrap this up, I would say that the the use of books as source material is a real good insight to like how you can become more creative. Like some films are inspired by theme park rides, like the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Look where they got to now. Um, <laughs> some bad, some worse. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, the world of books really truly does bring out the best in everything. And, uh, you know, you get, it's, you know, it's not something you get from just simply coming up with, a fre like coming up with fresh ideas in the cinema is very all well and good. But when you take something that's already amazing in book form, and then try and make it equally amazing in film form. It's great. Obviously, there are, an exa there are examples where it doesn't work so much. Like, for instance, in my opinion, uh, the Prince Caspian Voyage of the Dawn Treader films uh, from Narnia, they didn't work as much um, as their original, as the first one within the series in the 2000s. But you've got to give and take. And then on top of that, you've got things like uh, you've obviously a whole nother topic you've got the uh comic book adaptations which have seen a massive rise in popularity recently so you know knock yourself out with those i'll probably talk about those and my top recommendations for those later but yeah overall some pretty decent adaptations and then if you go back to the right at the beginning of cinema you got stuff like uh bram stoker's dracula um which you know it's been done so many times but my personal personal favorite and it, you know as a bit of a cinephile at heart film buff i'm gonna say this but my favorite dracula has got to be the what i would call the original dracula of all um and that's bella lugosi's performance uh in the 1931 adaptation of dracula uh, and it's just i don't know it's because you know it's black and white it's so atmospheric it's very creepy and because it's all old hollywood studio system stuff you know it's naturally got that old aesthetic to it uh so again highly recommend that one uh but for my main picks like i said to kill a mockingbird little women gone girl uh when it comes out watch death on the nile hopefully next year end of this year uh and beforehand try and watch murder on the orient express because i think they're going to try and do a bit of continuity a little bit but if not you could just watch the death on the nile its own as I've said, The Great Gatsby, the Narnia books, yeah, so many that you can like check out. I'm sure they're all available. Lots of them are available on Amazon Prime at the moment, and I know some are available on Netflix as well, here and there as well. Um, if you want to frighten yourself, anyone, uh, by Rosamund Pike, you want to see her be freaky and do her best acting ever, in my opinion, uh, watch Gone Girl. It's brilliant. Uh, but overall, guys, read the books because they are the original things that started everything off so give credit where credit's due to the novel source material and that's all i'm going to say for today guys um next episode obviously next week it's halloween so uh obviously halloween's on the saturday but obviously we release episodes every friday so i'm gonna really just say 
tune in for that because I've got a special guest. Uh, I'll say it now. I've got a special friend of mine, um, Simon Padley. He's going to be doing. He's my local uh, film horror, horror film buff. He loves his horror films, and because obviously it's Halloween, I figured why not talk about top recommendations for Halloween and stuff. Uh, I've got some. He's got some. We're just going to chat about our favorite moments about it and just have an open conversation about it. So I look forward to that episode next week, guys. Dropping on Friday in the usual place, usual time. Uh, and I look forward to hearing from you then. But for now, that's a wrap on Take 97, the book adaptations edition of the podcast. And I'll talk to you soon. See you later, guys. <laughs>